Oh, good morning. As a slightly older person, um, two things I think it's very appropriate that I should be sharing this morning. Uh, but seriously, it's, it's a real joy as an older person to see our young people, another generation coming through, serving God and most importantly, loving God. So it, it really does bring an older person much joy. Well, uh, we're going to turn to God's word, but before we do that, let's pray. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word and study your word this morning. And Father, we pray that you would soften our hearts, you would inform our minds, and you will transform our lives in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this week we come to Genesis 41. And Genesis 41 is the pivotal chapter in the story and life of Joseph. It's in this chapter that we come to the part in Joseph's life when, as the old song says, what a difference a day makes. Now, some of you may have heard that song. It was sung many years ago but more recently by, um, um, I forgot her name, the lady who took drugs. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's a more modern version of the song. Amy Winehouse, that's it. But it's what a difference a day makes. In one day, Joseph comes from being in prison to being in the palace, from being a prisoner to becoming prime minister. And I was thinking last week I was in prison, uh, not for any offence, but speaking in prison. And I thought as I was, because I knew what was coming this week, and I, I was standing thinking, looking at these prisoners, thinking, what a contrast. You know, what would it be like if, if somebody came in last week while we were there and said, oh, have you got an invite for the Queen and she wants to see you in Buckingham Palace and she's going to make you Prime Minister? What an incredible, incredible contrast. What a mind-blowing experience for one of them. But this is exactly what happens to Joseph. And so as we go through this story this morning, I want us to see three things as we go through. I want us to see Joseph's humility, Joseph's trust and confidence in God, and Joseph pointing forward to Jesus Christ. So let's turn to chapter 41. We're going to see just how this incredible transformation in Joseph's life takes place. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke. And behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. We're told in this portion of scripture, we're told that it was after two years, after two years when Joseph 
interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. Now Pharaoh had two dreams. And these two dreams were of seven plump cows and seven thin cows, and the thin ones ate the plump cows. The second dream was seven ears of grain, plump and good, and the seven ears of corn swallowed up the plump ears of corn, the seven plump ears of corn. And we read here that the Pharaoh was troubled. Now, I don't know about you, but you, I dream most nights. I dream every night. Most of the time I can't remember them anyway. But if you have a dream, I mean, maybe you've had a, more of a nightmare than a dream and you're troubled. But why is it that, why is it that Scripture tells us that, Joe, uh, that Pharaoh was troubled? Well, it's because at that time in Egypt, the Egyptians believed that their gods, not the God of the Bible, but their gods would bring revelation to them through dreams. And so it was important for Pharaoh to understand this dream because as far as he was concerned, the gods, now we know it's God who's doing it, but the gods were bringing a revelation to him and he needed to understand it. He needed to know what this dream meant. And so he called all the wise men and the magicians in Egypt to the palace, but none could interpret his dreams. Then in verse 9 we read, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offences today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And he, as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. The forgetful cupbearer remembers as he's hearing these magicians and these wise men not being able to explain the dream. He remembers, he remembers his time in prison and Joseph interpreting his dream and the baker's dream. And again, it's interesting as we look at the whole story of Joseph, again, the providence of, of, and the sovereignty of God in the timing. Had the cupbearer not forgotten uh, Joseph, he could have been out of prison earlier and Joseph could have been somewhere else, somewhere not available to Pharaoh. But in the sovereignty of God, the cupbearer forgot. The cupbearer forgot. In verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Listen to this answer from Joseph. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favourable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came out after them, poor, very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. You know, how he's, notice how he's embellished the, uh, the dream. It's not quiet. He's added a few more things to it. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin and blighted by the east wind, sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. So because of the cupbearer, cupbearer telling Pharaoh, Joseph was sent for. 
and he was called out of the pit. That's interesting, he doesn't say out of prison. And whether this is a throwback to when he was put into, into the pit by his, by his brothers. But in chapter 40, verse 15, Joseph refers to the prison as a pit. And then he was shaved, and because Hebrews, Hebrews were unshaven, so they, and the Egyptians were clean-shaven, they, they shaved him. And his clothes were changed and brought before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells Joseph he's had a dream that none of the Egyptians could interpret, but I have heard that you can interpret. And Joseph gives this great answer. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favourable answer. So then Pharaoh starts telling Joseph his dreams. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears are, are seven years and the dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is again, he says this, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. It's God. God was placing, he was placing the emphasis all the time on God. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. <laughs> Now, therefore, let Pharaoh set, select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. Joseph starts to tell, tell Pharaoh, as he's explaining these, these, these dreams, as he's interpreting these dreams, they're one. What he means is the interpretation is the same for both these dreams. And in the interpretation, he, he explains there'll be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And again in verse 28, he was restating that God was showing it was God who was showing Pharaoh it is as I told Pharaoh God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do he also explains to Pharaoh that the doubling of the dreams that, that, that what will happen is fixed by God and it will shortly come about now this is, this is quite a change in the life of, of Joseph where Matt spoke a few weeks back we, we, we saw the and a coat of many colours and in the household of his father, the arrogance of, of Joseph, the boasting of Joseph, the projection of Joseph. And here, 13 years later, we see Joseph deflecting everything away from himself and deflecting it to God. He didn't want to take anything on himself. He didn't say, yeah, I'm the great interpreter. He said, no, God will give it. It is God that will do it. So the first thing we see here in Joseph's life is his humility is growing humility. See, he could have allowed Pharaoh to think that he was so gifted and talented. He could have allowed Pharaoh to think that, he, that, that he, it was in himself. He had this ability, he had these gifts, and he had the opportunity to, to, impress, to impress Pharaoh. 
but he gave all credit and all glory to God. The Gospel Transformation Bible, speaking of this passage, says this, the key to living a life worthy of the Gospel of Christ is the ascribing of all glory to God for all fruit born in our lives. Let's say it again, because I think it's a very, very important principle. The key to living a life worthy of the Gospel of Christ is the ascribing of all glory to God for all fruit born in our lives. It's so easy, isn't it, to, to take credit. I do it. I'm sure you've done it. You take credit to yourself for something that God is doing and perhaps you've been involved in. Perhaps it was, perhaps it was an answer to prayer. Perhaps, perhaps you prayed for someone and they were healed. And then you tell people, you know, when I hit, prayed for them, they were healed. The accent being on the eye. As opposed to, you know, when we pray, God healed. It's so easy to take things on. And it's so easy in prayer to, to take things on and, and sort of claim some of, some of the answer to ourselves. And that can happen in all areas of ministry. The use of gifts. They're gifts, they're not rewards. There's nothing about us that God says, I'm going to give that person a gift as a reward. He gives. It's out of grace. They're all grace gifts. And all the glory goes to him. In prayer, prayer is one of those strange things, isn't it, where prayer starts with God. He burdens, he lays burdens on our hearts. We pray. We pray and then he answers. It starts with God. He, he initiates it and he answers. It's interesting when you, you read of Paul in to Corinthians, when he's speaking of a man who was called up into the third heaven. He was conscious not to, not to tell them it was him. It was him. He was the man. But he said, I don't want you to think more highly of me than you all. Trouble is, for me, I want you to think more highly of me than you all. But Paul was not like this. Paul said, I don't want... He said, if I'm going to boast... <coughs> What does he say? I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. We tend to boast in our strengths, don't we? We tend to boast in those things that we're good at, our talents, and not boast in our weaknesses. Why? Because we're boasting in our weaknesses. Everything then we do gives glory back to God. One Sunday morning, Charles Spurgeon, some of you may have heard of Charles Spurgeon, was, was greeted by members of his congregation. And one man said to him, Sir, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard and that you have ever preached. And Spurgeon turned to him and said, yes, the devil told me that 10 minutes ago. The devil told me that 10 minutes ago. Spurgeon was aware that Satan would seek to get him to take the glory and the credit for what he had achieved. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to pull us away from giving God glory. He wants us to, to take it on board ourselves. It, it's important to remember that all our gifts and all our graces come from God. And throughout Joseph's interaction with Pharaoh, Joseph emphasizes that God's role is central. And in it, he reveals a humility, a confidence and dependency in God. With all that he'd been through, with the highs and lows, we haven't got time, but the story as we go through it, there's highs and lows in Joseph's uh, life, with all he'd been through. And not knowing the outcome of this meeting, meeting that he has with Pharaoh. I mean, we know, but he didn't know when he's standing there. He didn't know what was going to happen. Having experienced many disappointments, he could have so easily promoted himself so that he would be released from prison. So easily put himself on a pedestal of the great interpreter and so... 
Oh, we won't, we won't leave you in prison. We'll, we'll let you come out. How many times do we boast? How many times do I boast? Or talk in a way to promote myself, ourselves? Want to slip a little bit of me in there? A little bit of, do you, yeah, I was involved in that. Do you notice I did that? It was me. Why do I feel the need to make sure people know of my accomplishments? Am I more concerned about pleasing others and looking good to others rather than pleasing the audience of one? The audience of one, God himself. That is where, that is where our, our focus should be. And Joseph here sets us a great example. In verse 33, Joseph speaks out courageously as he now starts to advise Pharaoh on how to plan for the famine. He talks about storing one-fifth of the grain during the years of plenty as a reserve for the years of famine. Imagine this prisoner, just come out of prison, just been freshened up to stand before Pharaoh, and now he's telling Pharaoh what he should do. A prisoner telling, telling the most powerful man on the earth how to provide for Egypt through the famine years. And if we continue on in verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Credible statement. Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God made by a pagan king? A pagan king. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and, over, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain round his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Bow the knee, that's significant. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one should lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphathaneh-Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land. Instead of losing his head for being bold, or audacious, you might think, in advising Pharaoh, going beyond what he's asked to do, he's been asked to interpret, he goes on to advise him how to, to deal with this situation. Instead of that, Pharaoh was pleased, pleased so much that he put Joseph in charge. Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? He was given the highest position in the land, second to only to Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh gives him his signet ring. That's very important, his signet ring. <coughs> Excuse me. That was used to, to bring the seal of approval or something. To use a signet ring, you press on the wax or whatever, and, and it, it was a seal of approval. He gave him his signet ring, not another one, his. He clothed him in fine garments. He was given a gold chain of office, and he had his own chariot, his own vehicle to himself. Pharaoh also gave Joseph an Egyptian name and an Egyptian wife. And his Egyptian wife was the daughter of one of the most significant men in the land. He was, 
He was a priest of on. And, and so here was Joseph now in Egypt with an Egyptian wife, now even got an Egyptian name. And some of you might wonder, well, what <coughs> happens then to the lineage of, 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 of the people of God and the lineage of, of Israel if there's an Egyptian wife? But the lineage of Israel didn't come through Joseph. Joseph's role, we shall see later, was to preserve that line, not that his children would be in the line. That came through Judah, as we know. And so the salvation of God's covenant chosen people geographically came through Egypt, and Joseph was key to that. But it was not through his marriage that the line the covenant people came through. Verse 46, it says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain with great abundance like the sand of the sea, until it ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. And before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, and Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. And the name of the second son he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of of my affliction you know Joseph in naming his sons reveals again a lot about Joseph's heart and where his thoughts were and although he was seen by the Egyptians as their prime minister he still saw himself as a Hebrew he still saw himself as a God fearing man and Manasseh for God has made me forget all my hardship on my father's house Ephraim, meaning for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Both these names reveal his confidence and trust was not in the Egyptian gods, but in Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Have you ever wondered sometimes why, why in the Bible well, it doesn't just say God, it says the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob? Because of all the other gods around. Because God, Yahweh, needed to be defined for the people. And Joseph was in Egypt with all the trappings of an Egyptian, Egyptian, but he was not an Egyptian. He did not lose his identity of being one of God's people. We, wanna, we often use being in the world and not of it. That was what was happening with Joseph. Joseph was in this Egyptian world, but he was not of it. Of whatever was going on in his life, whether affliction or fruitfulness, he was aware that it was God who was shaping him for God's purposes. So the second thing we see in Joseph is his confidence and trust in God. And this confidence and this trust that Joseph had was going to be significant and is significant right through Joseph's life for his peace and for his faith. And our confidence in God is going to be important as we walk through life. Good times, bad times, affliction, all sorts of things that may take place in our life. It's going to be key to us for our peace and our faith. It's interesting to note, and he's calling one son forgetful. Uh, by the very fact he's calling him forgetful, he's reminding himself every time he calls him forgetful. 
So, so it, seems, it seems a bit strange. But, but he, he would constantly, whenever he referred to his son, he would remember his declaration of forgetting. It was a declaration of forgetting. You see, it's like us, isn't it? It's, it's, it's not easy to forget things that happen in our past, is it? It's not easy to forget sins. It's not easy to, get to, to forget afflictions or people hurting us or, or perhaps the loss of a loved one. We cannot simply wipe out our memory like, a, like you wipe out a file on a hard drive, computer hard drive. But we can. We can put our past in a context of what God has been doing in our lives. We can see that God, just like, just like Joseph could, that God was a sovereign God in charge of his life. God gave Joseph grace to put the hardships the sufferings, the sins committed by others and his own into a new redemptive context. And although we may not be able to forget the experiences and sins of the past, if we recognise the sovereign hand of God has always been at work in our lives, and he will be always at work in our lives, it can give us context. And that context will help to draw on God's grace that will bring us into peace. By naming the other son, Ephraim, God made made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph again was declaring that it wasn't luck, it wasn't chance, it wasn't the gifts, it wasn't even Pharaoh that made him fruitful. It was God. It was God that had made him fruitful. Now, in our successes of life, some of you this week have probably got some really good grades, did you, in, in your exams? Oh, well, grades. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever you got, it's God who's at work in that. In all our successes of life, in all the things, good jobs, nice home, possessions, whatever it is, talents. The talents our, our young people exhibited this morning. God gave you those. You didn't get them yourself. God gave you those. And just as Joseph, God made me fruitful the land of my affliction. God makes us fruitful. And we need to constantly, as we walk through life, whether it's in poverty or wealth, to recognise God's sovereign hand at work in our lives. Verse 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to do, do. So when the famine was, had spread out over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, moreover, all the earth came to jo Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Here we read, right at the end, the end of years of plenty, and Egypt has entered into the years of famine. And this famine was not just severe in Egypt, but all over the earth. Chapter 41 reaches its climax with this. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was very <coughs> severe over all the earth. Through the wise stewardship and management by Joseph during the good years 
Joseph was not only to, able to provide for Egypt, but the whole earth. And as we will see in chapter 42 onwards, the whole earth came to Joseph, including his family who were living in Canaan. And the final point I want to look at this morning is that Joseph, very briefly now, points forward to Christ. Joseph delivered Egypt and the whole world from famine. But Joseph was a forerunner of a greater deliverer to come. Those that came and bowed the knee to, as, as Pharaoh had ordered, were blessed. Those who bowed the knee to Joseph were blessed. They received life. They received food. And those who refused died of hunger. And in this way, Joseph, Joseph pointed beyond himself to the true Messiah who was to come. He pointed forward to Christ. Christ followed the same pattern of suffering and exhortation. Just read now from Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, what's the therefore about? Therefore is because Christ has humbled himself, taken on the form of a servant, and humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For those who want to be delivered of sin, those who want to have their sin forgiven, need to bow the knee to King Jesus. These people back there needed to bow to Joseph if they were going to receive life. If we're going to receive spiritual life, we need to bow to King Jesus. Those who will not bow, those who will not bow, will remain dead in their trespass and sin. Just as Joseph's exhortation, exhortation, not exhorting, was not just for himself, so Christ's exhortation leads to the blessing for all nations. Joseph examples humility. He reveals a trust in God and points forward to Christ. Despite suffering, unfulfilled dreams, Joseph remained confident in God. What about us? Despite suffering, despite unfulfilled dreams, are we going to remain confident in God? Are we going to put our faith, our trust in a sovereign God? I pray that whether in suffering or fruitfulness, we will grow in humility to put our trust in God and live for the glory of God. Let's pray.